The reading this morning comes from Joshua 1, verses 1 to 11, which is page 216 in your church Bibles. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert in Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, or the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people, Get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Well, immediately, to stub our conscience, Moses is dead. That's the context. Now, to us, Moses is a character from the Bible, the person who, through whom God brings the commandments and the leader who set the nation of Israel and established it under God. So for Joshua, this is utterly, utterly devastating. There's a sense of impending despair and discouragement. So immediately, these are not just words that are used for the sake of it. There are times in our lives when we face similar situations. And I guess, as the Bible says, death is the the great enemy, the last enemy to ravage our relationships and our lives. And here is Moses, the greatest leader of the Old Testament history, is now gone. And Joshua is poised to be his successor. And he is faced with the greatest challenge of his life. 
oftentimes for us, perhaps without preparation, unexpectedly, we face challenges and we just don't quite know how we're going to cope, what we're going to do. So all the more for that, this verse, we can take, perhaps we might this year take it as a preparation for something that is going to come and it, we brace ourselves and we are fortified and strengthened. So here it is. This is our verse. Here is Joshua. He could be overwhelmed with a sense of fear, apprehension, and anxiety. And typical of him and of us, he would say something like, well, what if? So many of our lives, aren't they? Either are shot through with if-onlys or what if? What if? For example, people compare me unfavorably with Moses. Yes, they will. We do that all the time, don't we? We don't like people doing to us, but we do to others. That's what we like. Or what if I'm to lead this people and they rebel? What if they don't follow? What if they don't listen? What if they won't obey? What if I fail? What if I'm not equal to the task? What if? Well, they are legitimate questions. But we have to talk those through and work them through so that we arrive at a position whereby, even if they are legitimate, to say, well, wait a moment. If I have entrusted my life to God, if I have consciously done that, and if he is good and he's in control of my life, then whilst these questions come up, I am confident of this, that God doesn't give me a task without giving me the resource to fulfill it. And that, of course, is dramatically illustrated in the verse that we have. Now, you have to take that, and you apply it into your situation, as I must in mine. Let me put to you in dramatic terms for a moment. What if, there you are, what if this is your last year? And the law of averages could be. This time next year, perhaps some of us are not going to be here. That is dramatic language. Well, would you give with greater thought? Would you receive with deeper gratitude? Would you celebrate with stronger love? Would you share with eager joy? Would you pray with firmer resolve? Do you see the point? It might be that all of us would survive, but wouldn't it be good if we did it anyway? This is, this is where it's at. This, this is our time. So it's a call to courage. God can speak to us in all sorts of ways, obviously not only through a sermon like this. We know that. I'm reminded of a, of a, a, a testimony of a theological student who came from America to London. And all the way in this cross-Atlantic flight, he was thinking, am I sure I'm doing the right thing? Is this really what God wants me to do? Am I going to the right place? Is this... And all of that was going on in his mind. A sense of uncertainty. A bit like Joshua, if you like, except he was on cross-Atlantic flight. Same thing, isn't it? Fear is, isn't 
rooted in the past. It's always here, here now. So there he is. He arrives in Heathrow, he gets on the underground, comes into, I think it was Paddington Station. And as he's coming up the escalator like that, he sees a big sign. And the sign said, Take Courage. Now, yes, those of you who know beer adverts will know that it was promoting beer. He didn't. And he said, yes, Lord, thank you. And he looked back on his year at the London Theological Seminary and said, he took that, took that as an affirmation. Haven't I commanded you? Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Now, of course, if God can speak to us from the lesser, a beer advert, surely, do you see the point? He can speak to us from the greater, from his, his infallible word. And that's why we need to take this. Take courage. Take courage. Don't be afraid. For all of us here this morning. I'm sure that our circumstances are very different. Our personalities are varied. Uh, our challenges are greater in greater degrees. That's not in question. But God is the same. That's the point. It's no good you saying, well, it's all right for you. You haven't been. That's true. I don't need to. You do. So we're not comparing ourselves. We're saying that God is sufficient, whatever our situation. So notice the question. In the light of the illustration with the, 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 the talk with the children and, the, and all of us, God is posing the question, and let me put it to you in a different way, and be personal. Is God exasperated with you? Is he? Is God exasperated with you? I mean, how many times does he have to speak to you? Maybe you're sitting here today, and he's spoken to you many times, and actually you've not responded to him. And he comes to you again. You don't deserve it. Not for a minute. You don't. Nor do I. None of us do. And he says, haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous and so forth. Is God exasperated with you? To say, as if he says, how many times before you're willing to respond to me? And so you have it there, as we had it with the children in verse 5, verse 6, and verse 9. Three times. Essentially then, let's think about it in a different way. The question is not to fill the gap in our knowledge. It isn't as if we don't know. I don't think so. It isn't that we're not informed. The question is posed like this, to fill the gap in our courage, not our knowledge. We might know, but be very slow to respond. We might be informed in mind and often lacking in courage. So do you see why God's asking the question? And do you see why, I think, with some of you? In fact, I know he is exasperated with you. That this time last year, nothing's changed. Nothing. Because you're not making a response. You know he's commanded you. You, you, you know about it. But your response is zero. So, but the question is posed, I guess, then, not for knowledge, but for courage. And whom will you trust? when you face these periods of great transition and change, as Moses does, these life-changing situations where you, you know you can't survive in your own strength. Now then, at this point, precisely at this point, 
attitude, how we think, how we respond, is as important as actions. In fact, I would be bold enough to say almost more important. Do attitudes determine action and outcome? I think so. Why do I say that? Three times, God's word comes into this whole situation. But let me use an illustration. You'll have heard of the great uh, violinist Nicola Paganini, the great Italian composer and concert violinist. I want to read an account in his life where he's performing before a full house. And he began to play a particularly difficult concerto. The audience is in rapt attention. The genius playing in front of them. But suddenly one of the strings breaks in his Stradivarius. It dangles helplessly in front of him, outside of his control. Perspirated beads come on his forehead. He frowns, but continues to play. His genius lending beauty to his improvisation. But then, unbelievably, a second and a third breaks. One string remained taut. The great musician finishes his piece and his final notes were swallowed in wild applause. And as the audience sank back into their seats, he waved them to silence. And playing to the audience with a, with a twinkle in his eye, he says, Paganini and one string, one string. Some of us live our lives envying people who have four. But with the right attitude, even if we have one, God can use us, if we're willing. And that's the rub. That's the rub, isn't it? It has been said that in life, generally, 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we react to what happens to us. How are you reacting? How are you reacting? There are things outside of all our controls, we know. But how we react, how we respond, what is our attitude? And, and that fits in so well with Joshua here, and I guess with us. And so we are here this morning, and, and this is God's word. So look at verse 8. In that immediate context, what does he say? Here is the word that must be present in my mouth. Look at, look at verse 8. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. It is, it is a spoken word. It isn't a silent word. God is often speaking to us. And he wants us to reply. And that illustration of the children, a threefold cord is not easily broken, is often used for marriage or for friendships. It's me, my friend, and God. Me, my husband, and God. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Not easily broken with all the stresses and strains of life. And God's word comes to bear upon that. You notice, he didn't say, the law must not depart from your hearing, from your ear. 
It's a privilege. We're here this morning. You're listening. God is speaking. That's a privilege. But we've got to do something about that. Hearing is a blessing. Speaking, however, is our responsibility, our response. That's the point that Jesus makes, isn't it? You will be my witnesses. The word must be present in my mouth in verse 8. Stay with verse 8 and look. The word must be preeminent in my mind. So, so much traffic going through our minds all the time. And you wonder if God's word is crowded out so often. So, let not the book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Now, of course, there is a literalism that doesn't help. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. That all day you just sit and read and do nothing. No. But in the whole rhythm of life, I wonder how many of you have daily notes. How many of you just try to say that each day I want God to say something to me. It must be preeminent in my mind to meditate, to think, to stand back, to concentrate the mind, to explore, to memorize. That's why it's good that we should memorize. Weren't we impressed with little Hannah that if she can do it, surely we can. Take it with us. This morning on the, on the radio, um, of, he, the Reverend Ian Paisley was interviewed, asking why he still uh, sticks to the King James Version, the authorised version, instead of these modern translations. And he gave his eloquent reasons as only he could. And then he was asked, what is your most favourite part of the Bible? And so he read out, possibly memorised, Psalm 19. And it ends, doesn't it? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Well, that's, that's the point here, isn't it? And then thirdly, the, the word must be present in my mouth, preeminent in my mind, and it must preside over my will. This governs, yes, what, what I say, what I think, what I do. This isn't a little religion tacked on at the end of the week. No, no. So you see again, be strong, verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all that the law my servant Moses gave you. Now look at this. Here's the temptation. So, it's so, so relevant, isn't it? Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may succeed wherever you go. And there are all these distractions, aren't there? All the time. Pulling us this way, pulling us that way. God's word is is not to embellish my views so that I can win arguments or impress people. No, it's to empower my will and motivate me to actions. People don't say how clever or how strong I am. But people will say how great a God I have so that we don't try to impress them with our knowledge and that's why I'm sure deliberately to Joshua physically at that particular time he's to be strong and morally he's to be upright and spiritually he is to be fervent you see the reasons and they are true for us and sometimes the devil can drive a wedge between those where we are super spiritual and we are not moral or we are weak or we are lazy. And that's why this, this word is so comprehensive to us. 
Not that I'm clever, that I'm strong. How great a God we have to make us successful for him. So what's the application, very quickly? For sure, for sure, God understands our weakness. He does. And for that reason, he says, be strong. And God understands our inadequacies. And so he says, be courageous. We are prone to being discouraged, to be set by questions, doubts, uncertainties. And he says, be courageous. Now, with this verse, just stay with, with the balance. It's like it being held in scales like this. So, those are two positive commands, aren't they? Be strong, be courageous. That's powerful and that's positive. Two positive points. In other words, this is what you and I are to be. This is what we are to be. But they are followed by two negative points. Do you see it? Look. And they put negatively, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. So, what can we say? Well, if God understands my weakness and he wants me to make me strong, and if God understands my inadequacies and he wants me to be courageous, well, wait a moment. He understands my fears and he says, don't be afraid. Well, he does. And uh, because of the way we make, your fears are not mine. Your phobias are not mine. We are different. But God is the same. He understands our fears. He understands our feelings. Our feelings are different. Rightly so. So he says, don't be discouraged. Do you see what he's doing? That's why this is such a powerful verse for us, personally and collectively as a church. So this promise to Joshua, it's like as if the ink isn't dry. As it, as, as it comes to us, for us, here today. And here's an interesting thing. Those of us who know just a little of, of our Bibles, that the promise that is made to Joshua is repeated by another Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. To whom? To his disciples. At what point? At a point of massive transition. They're going out into the world to be his witnesses. And they're cowering behind closed doors. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And it's always accompanied with, I will be with you always to the end of the age. I will be with you. So you may be like Joshua in that great hymn has challenged and encouraged people down the centuries. You are treading the verge of Jordan. Treading. And you don't know. You don't know. Those powerful words, aren't they? Poignant words. Bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death, hell's destruction. Land me safe on Canaan's side. And of course at that point the hymn writer takes poetic license and takes it too far. As hymn writers do. But the point is the same. It's the same. We are treading in areas that we've not been before. 
And we can sing, bid my anxious fears subside. That is God's word for us. And so the question, have I not commanded you? Yes. Well then, be strong. Take that with you to work into this week, into your home, into your wider family. Be courageous, perhaps in places where before you weren't. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And we're going to respond to that with our final hymn, which I think you'll see brings some of these things together. The third verse particularly. Oh, let me hear you speak. Well, he has spoken to us today in accents clear and still. It's not complicated, is it? Above the storms of passion, the murmurs of self-will. Oh, speak to reassure me, to hasten or control, and speak to make me listen, guardian of my soul. Oh, Jesus, I have promised